Father, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And uh, Father, that really expresses my, my hearts right now is that uh, we, we cannot go any place except to your word, which will open to us, reveal to us the gateway to heaven, God, a, a gateway to communion with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with us now. God, may your spirit come and just open and illuminate just our hearts and our minds to, to just know the story of the early church better and to know what it is that you have done and to know it is, God, what, what you do in the lives of people. I, I thank you, God, how you are the one to, to open hearts, to, to see your glory, to reveal your glory and to see it and to believe it and to trust in it. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that for us now. Um, reveal your glory in us, in you, through your word right now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I, I was listening to a podcast recently <clears throat> where a uh, a couple, Sean and Billy Jane Sears. Now, I, I don't know them uh, hardly at all. I just shared their, their, heard their podcast, and they, they shared their story on the podcast. And they, they talked about how they met in college in Springfield, Missouri. Now, shortly after college, then they uh, went up to uh, Colorado and engaged in youth ministry for eight years or so. And then Sean landed a job in the Boston area uh, teaching in a a Bible college uh, for uh, uh, training students for youth ministry. So they moved to Boston, and and the Lord really began working. Uh, Their heart, they said in this podcast, was to do what any Christian would do or or should do, is just to make a positive impact in uh, their community. And so they they developed relationships with their neighbors around where they lived, and uh, she got involved in local schools and and he started coaching some uh, youth teams. And then uh, one of their non-religious neighbors had a friend across the street who tried to commit suicide. And so this person, uh, this woman, I think, whatever, maybe took some pills. I don't know what it was. But she ended up in the hospital. And this neighbor then went to visit her in the hospital. And in the course of things, just, just things revealed to her. And this unsaved neighbor said, you need God. My neighbor knows him. I'll be back. And so she went to uh, the, the Sears home and pleaded with them. She said, you need to come to the hospital right now and visit my friend. And so they did. And uh, while they're at the hospital, the, the neighbor like became the evangelist. And she's talking to this woman who tried to commit suicide. And she said, um, uh, you need a Bible study. In fact, um, if, if, um, if Sean and, and Billy Jane, um, if they have a Bible study in their home, will you go to that Bible study? And um, the woman from the hospital bed said, well, yes, I will go if you and your husband go also. And so uh, Sean and Billie Jean looked at each other and they said, I, I guess we're going to do a Bible study in our home. And so they started their Bible study and uh, <clears throat> began to grow. And uh, they were living in the Boston area where, you know, it's super expensive. They had a super small house. And um, it, uh, they began on Friday evenings with this uh, Bible study in their home. And it, it began to grow. And when it was about 20 people, that was too much for their living room, and it, it maxed out. And so they went two nights. They went to two services. They Bible study on Friday night and Bible study then on Saturday night. And uh, eventually those two nights filled up as well. And so they said, well, let's find a public place. And they're praying that time. Well, let's just sort of start a, a church. And so they rented out a Holiday Inn on Sunday mornings, and their Bible study quickly became a church. 
without any core team, without any strategic planning, without any outside funding, and uh, their church started. And today, Grace Church meets on four different campuses across the Boston region and really has a heart to, to multiply their work. And looking back, Sean said this. He said, we are the most accidental church planters we have ever met. <clears throat> when your non-religious neighbors are asking you to start a Bible study and it just keeps growing, that's a God thing. If we tried to do that again, it wouldn't go. And, and that's just a really a, a great perspective when it comes to, to planting churches and even the way that, that God works. Because that is the case when planting a church. It must be a God thing. Now, I'm not sure of the statistics in America, but the vast majority of churches that are planted, that are started, that are tried, fail and are not in existence five years later. Psalm 127 verse 1 is easily applied to church plants. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Right? And unless the Lord builds his church, they labor in vain who work and strive to see a church built. And I know the same is true at Rock Valley Bible Church. I know that in the depths of my heart, if God had not been here in the work some 20 years ago when we started the church, uh, we would have failed, clearly, in, in our attempts. We would have labored in vain. And what we're experiencing this morning would not have happened apart from the sovereign working of God. You know, and there, there's so many things working together in those early days that were clearly the hand of God, from, from people we met or contacts or news got around to people and just, that's the only way it would ever work. It's the only way. If we tried to do it again, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could do it again. Because so many things sort of have to happen that you don't even know about. And I've told this before to church planters, that oftentimes you go to plant a church, and you can study and plant it all that you want, but a lot of things just kind of need to happen that you don't even know about. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 7. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. And I just say, that's true of Rock Valley Bible Church. I'm nothing when it comes to the church. I'm nothing when it comes to growing the church. I'm sure it was through my leadership that the church came to fruition, but I'm nothing. I'm zero. It's God. In fact, Paul was emphatic. Neither he nor plants nor he who waters is anything, but it's God who gives the growth. And God was in the beginning at Rock Valley Bible Church. God was in the beginning of Grace Church in the Boston area. And this morning, we're going to see God being there in the beginning of the church in Philippi. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts 16 as we just continue to work our way through this great book of the Bible, and we're going to see the, the story unfold at the beginnings of the church in Philippi. We're going to look this morning at verses 11 through 15, which tell the, the story of the, the first conversion, that of Lydia, uh, first conversion in Philippi, the first convert in the city, and by the way, the first convert in Europe comes here this morning in this text. And, and before we get, though, into this text, right, we need to set the context and I just know as I remind you this again, week in, week out, it's going to be delved, it's going to be dug deep into your, into your minds. Um, this trip really began in Acts chapter 13 with Paul's first missionary journey, which Paul and Barnabas went out from the church in, in Antioch. Right, they're right there, and they went through Cyprus and up through southern Galatia, uh, up into Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and, and went back again. 
And, and I trust you remember that map. And, and when Paul and Barnabas came back to Antioch, they were there some time and dealing with the, the controversy about circumcision in Acts chapter 15. And then eventually Paul decided, said, you know what, I'd really like to go back and visit those believers to see how they are. And um, so Paul and Silas were sent out from Antioch. This is the second missionary journey. Then they went on, went out to visit the brothers in the cities. And of course, they went north up into Cilicia and they visited Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch and just saw how, how they were. And, and along the way, Paul and Silas picked up Timothy, probably when they were in Lystra or they were in, in Iconium. And uh, so that trio headed out. And uh, remember, they, they tried to pass through Phrygia. Or they were passing through Phrygia. And then they tried to go south into Asia. But the Holy Spirit forbid them to go into Asia. And then they tried to go north into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go north either. And with these doors closed, Paul and Silas and Timothy went west to Troas. At some point, they picked up Luke, who, who writes this letter. And while they were in Troas... God opens a door for them. He opens a door to go to Macedonia. The door opened really in a vision that appeared to Paul in the night. You can look in uh, chapter 16 and verse 9. It says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And, And that's what we see in the text this morning. We see Paul and Silas and Timothy going up into the region of Macedonia, right? And the first stop there is, is Philippi. Um, and, and if you just, by the way, if you just recognize, look at this map, you're going to recognize some of the, some of the cities here. I've highlighted them for you, right? Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth. What do these things have in common? Right? They're all books of the Bible. And, and what we get to see in Acts, this is why I, I love Acts so much, is that we're going to begin to see how it is that these churches begun and how they began. And Paul is later going to write to these churches and and tell them about, you know, just things or advice or counsel. And oftentimes, right, you can kind of go back and see in the history of Acts and and just have some more insight in terms of what was going on there at the time. And in Acts 16, we're going to see the beginning of the church in Philippi. In Acts 17, we're going to see the beginning of the church in Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 18, we're going to see the beginning of the church in Corinth. And then, by the way, in chapter 19, on the third missionary journey, we will see the, the church begin in Ephesus. And, and later, as Paul writes these letters, he writes a letter to Philippi called Philippians, and he writes a letter to Thessalonica called First, Second, Second Thessalonians, and those to Corinth, he wrote, were First and Second Corinthians. And knowing how the church began often gives us insight into the letters themselves. In fact, one of the biggest things we hear um, it, we learn about here in Acts 16 is the um, diversity of the members of the church here in Philippi. In fact, Acts 16 is going to tell us about three people. Uh, first, we're going to see Lydia, a respectable seller of fabrics. Uh, and then we're going to find out, we're going to tell us about a, a slave girl abused by her masters. And then we're going to hear about this jailer, a blue collar worker. In the prison, maybe like a sheriff, perhaps. And one can hardly imagine a more diverse group of people to begin a church with, right? A a professional woman, abused girl, and a blue-collar worker. That's the backdrop of Philippians 2, when Paul calls the church to humility and unity. 
when he says there, Philippians 2, 1 through 4, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? In other words, right, just be unified and, and, and seek, consider in humility the importance of others rather than yourself. And then, of course, that was the model by Christ. And I'd say that such humility and unity was not easy among Philippi, especially how things began. Like, especially, I remember in the early days of Rock Valley Bible Church, we had just a few people. Like, these were the people we had to, to really love. You couldn't have, like, any sex or differences in the church, right? No group here and no group there. It was all one group. And you're called to love those people. And so, likewise, these people were called to love each other. Lydia and this slave girl and this jailer. And I say this, the call to us is, is plain. We're far more homogenous than those in Philippi. Our differences, however great they may appear to you, are small when considering those in Philippi who are saved from their sins. And as a church body, we ought to exercise humility by living in unity with one another. Well, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at these three people, right? Today, we're going to be looking at Lydia. Next week, we'll look at the slave girl. And the week after that, we'll look at the Philippian jailer. And we look at Lydia this morning. We're going to see the Lord working in her heart to open and embrace the gospel and see her life forever change. The title of my message this morning is The Lord Opens Hearts because that's what we see take place in Philippi, particularly we see taking place with Lydia. So let's read our text, Acts 16, 11 through 15. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman, to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Thus begins the, the church in Philippi. Just as Sean Sears began that Bible study in the Boston area, and, and the church developed, so likewise here, Paul and his friends enter Philippi, speak the word, and the church begins. Now, before we get into the, the details of the church, let, let's, let's first look about the city Philippi. I just want to spend some time because in our map, we need to really get there. I just want to take you to the map to, to know where we are. Verse 11 says, setting sail from Troas. So you can kind of even see the, the red line there that they went out, Troas, across the uh, Aegean Sea. And they, uh, they spent the night in Samothrace, right? This uh, rocky island. Small island, but even had a peak of 5,000 feet. So it's really quite, quite, quite the sight. There's Samothrace. They just spent the night there on that island. The, the next day, they, they landed in Macedonia. They, they landed in the port city of Neapolis and then walked the 10 miles or so to get to Philippi. 
verse 12, brings us to Philippi, and, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. And, and there you, you can even see Philippi, you can see Macedonia. I, I put it there in the red. So Macedonia is kind of that whole region with uh, Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica, Berea, uh, um, Philippi, Neapolis, that's all in, in Macedonia. And uh, Philippi is, is identified there as a leading city. Now, we don't know it's the leading city, just a leading city, which probably means it's sort of a, a bigger city, one of the larger cities in Macedonia, one of the more influential cities of some type. It's identified also as a, a Roman colony, which, by the way, would be significant when we look at the Philippian jailers. So just kind of tuck that back in, in your mind. But just even a subtle point here, just looking at, at Philippi, is um, these are real places. These are places that you can visit today, and you can see their ruins. Um, you can you know, imagine yourself as Paul coming there. See, the Bible isn't some story, some fable, but it's history. It records what really happened. I remember some years ago talking with a guy at Poole who just said, isn't the Bible just a series of just stories to make people feel better? It's not. And I replied, I said, no, it's history. And that's the point here of Philippi. It records what happened. It, it records what actually happened down by that riverside. So as we read, just even think that this really happened. This isn't some, some story, some fictional story someone wrote up. This really happened to this church. In verse 13, we read about what happened. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come, the women who had come together. And my, my second point is simply this. I just call it seeking hearts. That's what we see here um, in verse 13. So Paul found at the place of prayer, he, he found hearts that were seeking the Lord, right? Because at prayer meetings, the place of prayer, you almost always find people who are genuinely seeking the Lord, yeah, I find this true at Rock Valley Bible Church, right? When we gather for prayer Sunday mornings, 9 o'clock downstairs, I just say this, that those coming to that meeting are seeking the Lord in a great way. And I think even more than we come here, and I think in some ways, right, we are seeking the Lord. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not, right? But we're coming, and there's, things, there's lots of people around. It's really easy to just kind of sit there. Um, but when you're around a, a circle in a small group, it's not because there's any entertainment of music. It's not because there's... There's great singing. There's no music, right? There's not a lot of crowds, right? There's not, no great teachers, right? Not, you're not going to hear anything new at the prayer meeting. We just simply read a passage of Scripture, think about it for a few moments, and then really direct our attention to the Lord and just pray. And just people in prayer meetings are really seeking the Lord. And that's what Paul experienced down here by the riverside. He found seeking hearts, those who were seeking the Lord, and particularly what he found here was that they were all women. Uh, now, surprisingly, in this verse, we find out a little bit more about Philippi. We learn that the number of Jews in the town of Philippi were probably small. Um, because certainly being a larger city, there were resources, but the number of Jews were small. Like, if you remember, according to Paul's custom, right, bringing the gospel into a city, he'd first visit the synagogue so he could speak to the Jews first, the gospel, and then do the Gentiles, find people who were, were open to things and bring the scriptures to them. But in Philippi, he doesn't go to the synagogue, probably because there was no synagogue. And if there was no synagogue, it probably means that there were fewer than 10 families, Jewish families there in Philippi, because 
according to the rabbis and the tradition that they had, you needed ten heads of families to establish a synagogue. You need ten fathers to establish a synagogue. But so Paul didn't go to the synagogue because there wasn't one. But he went to the next best place, the place of prayer, a, a place where those interested in spiritual things would gather. We read in verse 13 about the location of this. It was outside the gate to the riverside. That is, by the Gangaitis River, about a mile outside the city gates. So you, you think about Paul, and he wants to go find this, but he's not going to the synagogue in the city. He's got to go outside the city, walk about a mile down to the river to find where the spiritual people are really seeking the Lord. And, and I'm not sure why they were down there. Maybe they're seeking some freedom, maybe some solitude, maybe some silence. Um, not exactly sure, but when, when Paul arrived, he discovered a group of women. And, and perhaps he was confused at this moment because Paul was looking for a man. Because he, he had this vision about this man of Macedonia and said, come. And so Paul was probably out looking for this man. Where, where's this man of Macedonia? And he finds a group of women. But this was exactly the door that God opened. And, and he began to speak to the women who had come together. Now, Okay, here's a million-dollar question. What do you think Paul spoke about to these women? He's <laughs> Jesus. There it is. He spoke about Jesus. He spoke about the gospel. He told them about Jesus and his manner of life and how he's anointed by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, how he went about healing the sick and casting out the demons and preaching good news of the kingdom. He, he talked about how he, he took in the sinners, he was filled with grace and truth, kind and compassionate, and also how he fulfilled the scriptures. Constantly, like, like where he was born, where he lived, what he did, a constant fulfillment of the scriptures. And then he died upon the cross, as Isaiah 53 had foretold. Yet Jesus was raised from the dead, as Psalm 16 foretold. And that through him, I'm sure he would have said, like he said to the, the synagogue in Antioch, through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Right? Just, just preaching freedom and preaching forgiveness of sins. And that everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus right, can, can come to God and can be, be freed from their sins. right? Because he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He was the perfect priest to bring us to God. And really what Paul did here is a great application of the book of Acts. I mean, we've been repeating it over and over and over and over and over again. This is the theme of Acts. Be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. You shall be my witnesses. And God's calling us to be witnesses exactly what Paul is doing. This is the very thing that he was. I mean, think about it. He just finds himself at a place, a place of prayer. So it wasn't a, a formal church service. It was probably just a, people standing around. Maybe they're sitting on rocks or logs or something and and maybe they were praying with eyes open, maybe eyes, you know, maybe they were a little chit-chat, but he was kind of there in that community with just a few women. And so he says, here's a great opportunity. I can just start talking. And he was witnessing of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do, right? When we're around just a group of people and you're sitting on your log by the river or you're, you're sitting at a picnic table someplace or you're going someplace to... You know, Monkey Joe's, or I'm not even sure that's in existence anymore, but going someplace, Chuck E. Cheese, you're just kind of sitting around, you develop conversation, you're talking around, and then speak about Jesus. That's what Acts is calling us to do. Whatever sort of group of people we find ourselves in, we're called to be witnesses for Jesus. Now, that can take a, a lot of, of different forms, and, and for 
for Philippi, I just think about how the table is totally set. Because, um, because these people, these women, were coming with, with seeking hearts, seeking the Lord. And so spiritual things were on their minds. They, they were seeking the Lord in prayer. And so if you get around a spiritual group of people, it's a little bit easier to transition to spiritual things. It's more difficult to speak of spiritual things, right, when you're out on a walk and you encounter a dog, a, 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 someone, a dog, whatever, the owner of a dog, right, walking the other way. It's harder just to bring up spiritual things, right, when you're walking two, two different ways and you're just kind of high and, and whatever you go. It's, it's a little harder to speak of spiritual things when you're coaching your son's basketball team and you have an opportunity with the parents afterwards for like five minutes when you're mingling all around. And it's awkward, and I, I think somewhat unbecoming to say, oh, do you know Jesus? Do you want to believe in Jesus? And start passing out tracks at that moment. You, you need to develop a friendship to like, bring it in, tactful way, which I'm sure Paul did here. It's difficult to speak of spiritual things, right, when you're eating lunch at your workplace with a lot of people around, but, but maybe not. Kind of you have a goal to, to bring that up. And sometimes you sow seeds. I sowed seeds with my neighbor just a couple days ago, right? It had snowed, and, and I was... Um, I was outside, and he was just coming back from. He works really early. He's like an electrician, and he was outside, and he came back, and I just engaged him in conversation right there, kind of in the snow. And he was actually going back to work, and so I asked him, but just preparing the way, so he understands who I am. That eventually spiritual things could take place, so I could be a witness for Jesus. So our neighbor who next moved next door at COVID, and we just haven't even had them over yet. It's just a difficult time during these days. But that's a great application of the book of Acts, right? Speaking spiritual things ought to be on our minds, ought to be our goal. We ought to be ready with spiritual things like Paul was. And that's what Paul did in this place of prayer. And God was working here. In verse 14, we see thirdly that um, we see an opened heart. In verse 14, we read that um, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, verse 14 introduces us to Lydia. And we're told three things about Lydia. First of all, she's from Thyatira. She's a seller of purple goods, and she's a worshiper of God. Now, when you think of Lydia, right, just, just picture someone in your mind that you might be, be thinking of, right? You have kind of a picture in your mind. I mean, your, your picture might like look like this, right, when you think about Lydia. Right? You think so? Well... When I think of Lydia here, I think of a, a professional woman who's in the business of buying and selling. Uh, I, I think of a, a woman in a, a suit who presents herself really well, respectable, trustworthy, one who's, who's strong and hardworking. Maybe a, a woman you might encounter in the airport, accustomed to travel. Now, this, this is more what comes to mind when I think of Lydia. Someone like this, just a businesswoman, clad out, just ready, ready to go. And verse 14 tells us that she's from Thyatira. So again, we think about Thyatira. I put a box there around Thyatira. And Thyatira is actually across the Aegean Sea in the area of Asia is where she's from, which means that she was in Philippi more as an outsider. Like she didn't grow up at Philippi, but she grew up in Thyatira. But she was there. Uh, verse 14 says that she was a seller of purple goods. Some Bible translations say that she was a seller of purple fabrics. Literally, it just says that she was a, a seller of purple. Um, now, in our day and age, we hardly think about colors. 
We have figured out how to manufacture colors of, of every kind. Yet in Bible times, colors were not so easy to fabricate. They didn't have all the technology of the chemistry like we have today. And the most difficult color to get in those days was, help me now, purple. Why it's the color of the kings. Why it's the most expensive color to make, therefore most rare. The, the purple color was made from the secretion of a selfish that lived on the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And you had to crush a lot of these guys or take a lot of the um, purple from them in order to get any, any purple from that. So wearing purple... That day became a status symbol of those days. It's no accident Lydia is wearing purple on the screen. Uh, That's not an accident. And Lydia. mm. What's your favorite color, Lydia? All right, you got a new one today. Purple. Be a great opportunity, right? You really wear purple a lot. Well, think about that. As you get older, people would say, Lydia, um, why do you wear purple so much? And you might easily say, what? I wear purple because the Bible has a Lydia in the, in the, Lydia in the Bible, and, and she wore purple. So I wear purple just because I want to be like her. The Lord opened her heart, and the Lord has opened my heart. Do you want to hear about what God has done for my soul? Like, wouldn't that be a great transition? And and. and and just even strategic, like you should have some things like that. Like I think about our license plates um, on our cars. Our, I've, I've had many evangelistic opportunities on mine. Like, like the one license plate we have is Hesed 5. People look at that and say, what? What is that? And sometimes, I've had people, like strangers, I open up the door and they say, what does your license plate mean? And I say, Hesed. It's the covenant faithfulness of God that reminds me of just a God and his character, his steadfast, loyal love. And it just... Reminds us of how God has been faithful and gracious to us. Or our other car, right? Ta'u. Ta'u. And they say, well, what is that? What is that? Even a couple weeks ago, a guy asked me that as I was driving up the pool. Because we kind of drove at the same time. He looked, they said, what, what does that mean? And I said, ta'u. And he's kind of like, uh, like theology? I said, yeah, exactly. And, and the ending is a genitive, so it means of God. Like, this is God's car. So everything is of God. We are of God. This is, so it just reminds me of that. So you can think of things. Like, Lydia, purple clothes for you would be like an easy transition. And maybe others, like, I remember I was in the workforce. I put stuff on the desk where people would come and ask about things on the desk that I had. Just to promote spiritual conversation, to be, uh, to be a witness now, re- regarding Lydia, also we read that she was a worshiper of God. That's why she was at this place of prayer. Think about this, worshiper of the Lord, feared the Lord. I think that Lydia was a Proverbs 31 woman. You remember Proverbs 31 that, that speaks forth of this excellent woman? Let me just read some of that. Like Proverbs 31, verse 14 and following. She's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar, and she rises while it's still night and gives food to her household and portions to her attendants. She considers a field and buys it, and from her earnings she plants a vineyard. She surrounds her waist with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her profit is good. Her lamp does not go out at light at night. There's just a diligent, business-working woman providing for her family. In fact, even it says, right, she considers a field, she buys it. In Lydia's case, it's purple, right? She considers the cost where she can buy it low and sell it high. <clears throat> Further it goes, 
Proverbs 31, 24 and following. She makes linen garments and sells them. But purple garments probably. And supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She watches over the activities of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. She makes covering for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She has nice clothes because she's worked hard and she's been profitable to be able to do that. She's a Proverbs 31 woman, probably. But the most important thing about Lydia is that the Lord opened her heart. Look there at the verse 14 at the end. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God opened her heart. That in, in some regards, that means her heart was closed before. Even though she was a, a worshiper of God, her, her heart was still closed <clears throat> until God opened her heart. That is, that is, gave her an understanding to believe and accept and embrace the things spoken of by Paul. And just we see the Lord's activity here. It was the, the Lord who opened her heart. It wasn't she who heard Paul and thought about it and just with all of her expertise and her smarts and her brightness and her savvy, yes, that, that's it, that's right. No, the, the picture is more that God came down and opened her heart so that as Paul was speaking, it like began to resonate with her and she began to make sense. Because in reality, we don't have words to change hearts. Our words cannot change anyone's hearts. Our words are important, right? But, but our words themselves aren't going to do that. It needs to be with the Spirit of God, right? The, the, as Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So as, as we speak, it's the power of God unto salvation that works. It's, it's not us that, that changes people. And in fact, it's God who totally changes us. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of works we've done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, he saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, God is the one that saves us. He initiates, he causes. Now, through human agency, right, the word comes, but God is the one who opens hearts. You just think with me a little bit about the biblical imageries of salvation, right? Being born again or born anew, born from above. That means we're born the first time physical and we're just kind of going, but, but there's a way in which when we believe, we're born from above. And God causes that. First Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So a child doesn't have a choice to just say, oh, I want to be born of this mother. I want to be born here. <clears throat> a child is just born. And so likewise, right, when God comes upon a sinner, he, he changes us. He's the one that transforms us. So we're born from above. The, the imagery in the Bible, as Jake preached about a couple weeks ago, is that dead people are made alive. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, he made us alive. We don't choose to be alive, right? We're dead, we're a corpse, and he brings us to life. Another imagery is that we are blind. As we sang today, I was blinded by my sin, had no ear to hear his voice. Then your spirit broke in and gave me life, or something like that. He made, I was blinded by my sin, had no ear to hear my voice. Ryan, can you help me? Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your words to me, the gospel, and 
There it is. Then your spirit gave me life. Opened up my heart towards you. By the way, Brian, you're just so good at picking. I mean, this is it's like Lydia. That's like Lydia's song. Open it up just right there. See, our, our hearts are hard. Romans 3 says that no one seeks for God. It says the natural mind doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But it's God then who changes us so we have spiritual receptors so that we believe and trust in Him. And that's God opening a heart like He did here with, with Lydia. You know, some families are, are so hard, just even... Uh, Someone shared in prayer meeting this morning that some families can't even talk about religion. It stirs up so much passion that, that it was just, that's just off topics, off topic. It just is a demonstration of a hard heart. It says we don't want to even talk about that. People just can't tolerate it until God breaks through and opens up hearts. God worked in, in Lydia's heart. God changed her. Do you know this, your own experience? Has God opened your heart? Even some of your kids, right? Has God opened your heart to believe and trust in Christ? That, that the things of the gospel that we come to church here about are true and they're genuine and they're real. They're, they're history. They are reality. Jesus was, had flesh. He was a real man. He was the God-man who came and he actually died. But he actually rose again from the dead and that's what we believe and trust in. Lydia believed. Paid attention. And, and the assumption here is that, uh, right, it doesn't say that she believed, but certainly that's the assumption here that she believed because she responded as all believers do, right? Verse 15, and I'm going to simply call this, right, we had an opened heart and now we've got a servant's heart. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us. First, it really did, did two things, right? First of all, she was baptized, and then she opened her home. And she was baptized according to a biblical pattern. You see it complete throughout the book of Acts. When people believe, they're baptized. They believe, and they're baptized. And uh, that's what, what she was, right? And, and in some regards, this is service. I said she has a servant's heart that... that Yes, she serves Paul later by opening her home, but really even serving the Lord is a way in which you identify with the Lord through baptism. And you just say, I am the Lord's. He is, he is the Lord. That is, he is the king. He's the sovereign one. I have trusted and embraced him. It's a symbol, a symbol of my forgiveness. I'm dunked in water and washed clean and pure. I'm telling the world I'm following Jesus. That's what, what baptism is. And we see also here, we see a, a household baptism. Now, just it was silent about... Uh, Lydia's faith, it's silent about the faith of the household as well. We can just assume that uh, those who were believing were being baptized. In fact, we even see that with a Philippian jailer. As, as I recall that when they and his whole family were, were baptized, I, I think they, they believed as well. Like chapter 30, 16, verse 34, they, they brought them up to the house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed with God in, in God. So the household there had believed and I'm just trying to look for it there. Um, the whole family, right, believed. And so likewise here, I, I sense, the, and when it talks about household, we don't know if Lydia was married or not. Maybe her husband came to faith at this time. We don't know. But household might be her servants who she's working with. And they all believed as well. The beginning of, of the church here in Philippi. Uh, but then also, secondly, we see that she opened her home 
And uh, you just you see that. So if you have judged me faithful to the Lord. Now, I, I think that's got to be more than just right then and there, maybe at the home, right? If they're at the place of prayer, uh, maybe she took them home right there. But it says they stayed there many days. And, and she said that, that if I've been faithful, like there's been some time of demonstration of faithfulness that I've really served the Lord. If I have, then, then come to my house and you stay with me. Now, that, that might have been awkward a little bit for Paul and, and Barnabas. Like, okay, so here's this woman, maybe a single woman over her house. Maybe we don't, we don't know exactly the situation. Maybe they didn't want to do that. But she pressed on and she prevailed upon us. And, and such is the heart of a servant. It just says, I, I, want, to, I want to serve. I want to, I want to give. And kind of, you press your way into service. You, you'll see a need, and she saw this need in Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and Luke and said, they, they need a place to stay. My house is better than the inn down there. And so come, why don't you come and stay with me? And, and Lydia probably had another motive about maybe learning some more things from the Apostle Paul. And, and maybe just, you know, bringing in the, the teachers. You know, I, I know that we as a pastor family have a, a unique privilege of being able to have missionaries in our home. And just a privilege to be able to... Maybe not overnight, but we often have. Like they, they come to Rockford and they come and visit us. Our kids get to hear the stories. And so likewise, Lydia would be blessed just to be around these godly men would be helpful to them. But, but God opened Lydia's heart to give her, give her a heart of hospitality. And this is how God works in, in every believer, right? We're saved to serve. When God saves us, he saves us so we can serve and help others. And indeed, that's what, what Lydia did. In fact, just... Just like I close up, just consider the church in Philippi. Paul writes this in Philippians 4 about this church in Philippi. Um, Paul then, then went off and, and he said, And you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. The church in Philippi was the only church that gave to Paul as Paul went out of Philippi and went on to Thessalonica and went on to Berea and Athens and then to Corinth. Um, This church in Philippi was especially generous. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So twice they went to Thessalonica and they're sending gifts to Paul in Thessalonica. I ask you, who do you think was the driving force behind that? I don't know if Lydia was or not, but it's totally consistent with Lydia's heart just to say, let's help Paul. Let's help Paul. He needs financial help. Maybe she had some financial means and she just shared with him. And and in fact, even that's um, Proverbs 31, verse 20. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. And no one was more needy than this missionary band as they were going out just trusting the Lord to provide in all things. And Lydia was sensitive to that, that God had given her a, a servant's heart in this way. And, and Philippians, I, I, just, I think about, we're seeing the beginning of the church in Philippi. And, and Paul writes this in uh, Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And we see in Acts 16, the beginning of the work that Paul would write later, I'm confident, I was there at the beginning, and the one who began that work in you, to believe and trust in Christ, bring the Messiah there, have the church grow up and build, he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So God has started Rock Valley Bible Church some 20 years ago, 
The same promise true of us. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And Sean Sears, as God worked there with his Bible study that turned into a church, multiple campuses, what, what God begun there, he will continue to work. God will finish his work. Because God's the one that be- begins it, he's the one that sustains it, and he's the one that brings it until the end, right? We can rejoice in the grace of God. We can enjoy the grace of God, right? So let's do so. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this testimony of Lydia and uh, just how you opened her heart. Uh, God, she was a worshiper of you and seeking you in prayer. And as you promised that um, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek with all of your heart. And that promise came true in Lydia. She was seeking you with her, her whole heart. God, you opened her heart to find Jesus and her life was forever changed. Thank you even here for her testimony of service. Let's pray for Rock Valley Bible Church so we all might have such a, a generous, giving heart that longs to give and, and longs to serve and even presses on and urges us to believe and, and to serve others. Even when resisted, want to urge, come and be at my house is what Lydia said. And so God, may, may that be us as well, that our, our servant's heart is so evident to many that it is of no problem to take someone to the hospital or take them to the airport or bring them some food or encourage them or have them over or go out with them or to take them out or to put arms around them or to weep with them or to rejoice with them or to watch the graduation of their child or to um, help in any way. God, just a life-on-life servant's heart that's ready to give for the needs. God, I thank you for this church in Philippi that really is a, is a great church. Um, God, very little said, poor against the church at Philippi, for they were partners with Paul in the gospel as the, the, the gospel continued to go out. And I pray that for us at Rock Valley Bible Church, may we partner with many in the gospel of Christ. God, just to see your impact in this world through us, God, certainly, but as our words go out, God, it's your power that comes in that, that really changes lives. And I pray that you would do that in us because we need your power and your spirit among us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.